But we're uh, in Acts, Acts chapter 3, and we're on Peter's second message. Peter preached Jesus Christ. That's not surprising, is it? We talked about that last week. Two things that um, that he made sure that he brought forth, and he exalted Christ. And we were talking about the names of Christ and how they uh, show the character and nature of Him. And then also, uh, a message will uh, about Christ will uh, indict the people. And in this message here, after He uh, brings forth Christ, He shows how Israel had um, been responsible for the death of the Messiah. So that's what He um, did in the first sermon in chapter 2 and in chapter 3 it's uh, the same kind of pattern and that's a pattern for all gospel kind of preaching and teaching if uh, we evangelize we we have to do those two things is present Christ and then secondly indict men who have rejected him uh, show them where um, they're at as far as um, God is concerned now up uh, in the first section in chapter 3 the first uh, 12 verses was dealing with uh, the man who uh, was lame and of course Peter healed him it was a living illustration and then we saw Peter's theme and uh, he bolted off of that into this great message and uh, giving the six different names calling him a servant calling him Jesus which is Savior calling him Holy One uh, the Just One or Righteous One uh, the Prince of Life, and um, we know, and then also Christ, which is uh, their Messiah that they had. So using all those names, they would have been familiar with out of the Old Testament, the Holy One, and and um, a lot of things that were just came right out of passages like Isaiah. And now woven through this is here's what they did to him. Here's the Messiah that's prophesied that they look so forward to coming. And uh, he indicts them on what what they've done. They they had denied him. They delivered him up. Uh, they did not desire him, as uh, the message says. And he says you you destroyed him. So Christ and his Majesty, and then Israel and what they did to the Messiah. And so that brings up the conclusion of the message. And from 19 on through the rest of the chapter, he appeals to them. And, um, of course, that's what we want people to do is to be um, brought to the point of response to the message. And that's where we pick it up in verse 19 where he says, Therefore, and he brings forth that doctrine of repentance, you killed your Messiah and you have to repent. But then also, on the positive side, there is the aspect of who God is and Him being gracious. And uh, because of Him being gracious, He's the one who can deliver them out of that mess they're in. So God has provided that, hasn't He? He's provided uh, this uh, this way. And uh, that is good to know. That's what kind of God that we have. He just doesn't leave them there, but um, He now puts forth, here's what has to happen. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for who You are and what You do. And You certainly are the the Savior. You have given us the Savior. You've shown who this Holy One is. And may we ever focus upon the very holiness of God. And also, 
um, that we would see him as the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed king, the ruler over all, the prince of life, this righteous one. Thank you for revealing him. And then also, thank you for the gift of repentance, the gift of faith that turned us around from our evil nature to desire you. And by the Word of God and the Spirit of God, you um, convert us. You change us completely and uh, we thank you for an ever-going work on us as we are always reforming, reforming to your Word. And may we be enlightened by your Holy Spirit that we would seek you out more, that we would be followers who would desire you. All in the name of the Holy One, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we, uh, we pick it up in verse 19 after he... Yes? I'm sorry to just jump right in at the beginning, but you know, and I'm not wanting to camp out where we were last week, but those names that Peter says, you know, that you emphasize, uh, they're so beautiful, but that one, Prince of Life, I'm not sure why, but ever since I was a boy, that just, just jumped out at me. That's such a beautiful name, Prince of Life. And, uh, here we are, we were in death, and death has uh, taken over this first world and so forth. That's good. Yeah, that that word for prince, and I don't think maybe we even maybe we didn't touch on that last week. We were in that area. It uh, has to do with origination, the the origin, um, uh, like a pioneer. Um, in matter of fact, let's let's go to a passage. It's uh, I think it's in Hebrews. Hebrews 12. Author. Yeah, and that's what that is. That's the idea of that. Yeah. That has author too. Yeah, that's... Um, I think Prince is dealing with, the, you know, um, like one who's in, in, in a first place or something like that. Well, yeah, the notes that isn't the originator. Uh huh. Well, in, in Hebrews 12, and you might get a little bit different translation on that same word, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author of our faith. So those translations, they, they help out sometimes. So some might be just a little bit better, but that, that's a sweet thought, isn't it? Uh, he's the author of life, the prince of life. He, he, is, he is life. And, he, of course, we... Uh, bounce off of that, don't we? I mean, he's he's the author, he's the beginner of that, and, and not only just life in general, but then also we we think of the eternal life, the Zoe kind of life. I think there's a, another passage. Uh, Hebrews two has uh, that term in there also. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. There it's talking about Christ having to go through sufferings. and That's something right there, that there was a thing that he had to go through to be um, like us, and you know, to give us salvation. And of course, he had to go through sufferings. 
but he's the author of our salvation, the prince of life, the salvation dealing with, with life. Very good. Uh, there's an Old Testament reference to that too, which would not have been strange to them in the Psalms. Verse 9. Psalm 30... I'm sorry. 36.9. You fill in the blank. You, you guys ought to know this by now. Right? Yeah, 36.9. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Yeah, when I first started listening to preaching and, and, and uh, talking with you at the store and everything, you used to talk about the fountain. The fountain. The fountain. Go to the fountain and drink from the fountain, right? Yeah, that's refreshing, isn't it? The source. You want life, you got to go to the source. The source. And that's what this is all about. Matter of fact, that's what that whole word is. is. It's the source, the originator, the origin, origin of life. The one whom God raised from the dead. Yeah, that's the kind of life that uh, that it takes. There is the eternal aspect, the fact to which we are witnesses. So he uh, definitely introduced Christ. He exalted His names, names there. When you have songs or you go through psalms or different passages and you read those sweet names of, of Christ. Oh, the sweet name of Jesus, right? Who He is. He's what life is about. So, because of all that, that's the very one that they were looking to and him using very familiar passages. And so there it is. What's the first thing that he says? Therefore. And we always say, what's the therefore? Therefore. Here's the doctrine. And so here's the practice. Here's what you do. And we have that famous word, metanoia. Therefore, repent and return. Uh, meta, change, noia, mind, thinking. Change your thinking. Change your mind. Uh, it's, and it's not just turning away from something. It's turning all the way around. It kind of sounds like Billy Graham. Remember all those messages? He always explain, you know, about turning, the total turnaround, the opposite direction. To repent is to change your thinking to change your mind not only that but uh, it has to do with absolute opposite attitudes not just the way that you think um, just in your mind just having knowledge but taking that knowledge and taking it into your uh, attitudes your actions everything changing your mind totally to go the other way complete turnaround we know that heard that many times but it's always good to know that's what it. Uh, that's what it takes. If you're saying this to Israel, which he was, uh, these uh, Jewish people, there they are. He's hanging this message on them, and he says, "You've had one attitude about Jesus, and you have to have that attitude reversed." Right? Uh, they had. They had uh, killed him as a nation. That's repentance. Reverse your whole decision, your your thought, your thinking on him, your judgment on him. You're wrong. And he'd already piled up enough evidence of who Christ is. And, uh, of course, that's been proven and the resurrection was there. They had come to a wrong conclusion about Jesus Christ and here he brings us forth. You better repent. 
right? You've seen those bumper stickers? Turn or burn? Not quite too seeker sensitive. <laughs> well, they had decided he was a blasphemer. Really, that's what they got him on because he claimed to be God. Of course, he proved that he was God. So he was saying, you better change your mind on him being a blasphemer. And, of course, they had mocked him as uh, as a nation. He was a threat to them in their, their religion that they had. And they executed him like a criminal. So a repentance to them would be a, a vast turnaround, wouldn't it? Because they were on the opposite end of who Christ is. And that's really the nature of everybody. They're all in the same situation. Uh, let's turn further to Acts. Now, this is not the first time he's mentioned that. He's done this in the first sermon, right? In chapter 2. But let's turn later to Acts 20, 21. All throughout the book of Acts, topic, but I think this uh, defines it rather well. Solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. There you have the two gifts. These are the two necessary things that you have to have to be a believer, to be a Christian. You have to have repentance and you have to have faith. How often um, you hear that in, in basic Christianity, or, or we should, but it's repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And, um, of course, we know that repentance on our own, even though we change our attitude, it's still... God, by His grace, by His mercy, that would have us repent. It's, it's His kindness, as it's said in, in Romans. So uh, We have to have His righteousness, and the only way to righteousness is by this faith, it's by this repentance. So to the Jews, He preached repentance toward God. And so the first thing the Jews had to do was change their mind about even who God was. Not only Jesus Christ, but who God was. They had their own ideas, their own... Um, opinions, their own uh, thoughts. And they were really, when, when they do that, they were setting up, setting up an idol. They made God what they wanted Him to be. And so they were really going away from God. They were walking the opposite way, even though they had all the truth in what we know as the Old Testament. And so they weren't walking towards God, they were walking away. And that's why He says, turn around, turn around, go towards God. You need to repent towards God, Peter says. And of course, this this is a thing that I think that uh, even, uh, of course, as Christians, that we want to have a continuing pattern um, because our flesh, and of course, the world, the devil, the enemies can have us running uh, in opposite directions or opposite thoughts if we haven't been renewing our mind. And so, therefore, that's why uh, repentance... Uh, can be gotten and gained from the Word of God if we've been in it. That then we see the things that we still have to turn away from. So now a Jew could be thinking, okay, God wants you to be good, you know. And so really, what you have to do is generate your own 
kind of righteousness, self-righteousness. Well, that's what the Jews would have thought about how God wanted them to live. And that is the exact opposite. It's always been the same way. Grace has always been the same way. And there was a whole system of legalism that had uh, been brought in. We know about that. And, of course, it was manipulated and controlled by the Pharisees. We know the story there. It was all based on a self-righteousness. And um, Peter is going to get to the point where you have to stop being legalistic. Repent from that. God doesn't want that. Um, Stop thinking that Jesus is a blasphemer. Turn around. Turn around on both counts. Go back to uh, Matthew. Matthew 11. Twenty-one. Remember this one? Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles that occurred in Tyre and Sidon, that's outside the nation of Israel, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. And then he says that famous saying, Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. But the key word there in uh, 21 is they would have repented long ago. And it's showing that they didn't repent. Verse 20 says that because they did not repent. So, there's going to be a a little more of a break on Tyre and Sidon than there is Bethsaida and Chorazin which saw the miracles that Jesus did up there in northern Galilee. They they were familiar, so familiar. How many times had they seen it and heard Him speak? They knew about Him and yet they uh, still denied Him. Go to Luke 16. And 30... Verse 30 and 31. Remember the parable of the rich man and Lazarus? Yeah. Um, yeah, um, you have this man in Hades, verse 23. Hades lifted up his eyes, being in torment, saw Abraham far away, and Lazarus in his bosom, and he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus bad things. But now he is being comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great chasm fixed, so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able, and that none may cross over from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, in order that he may warn them, so that they will not come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. They have the word of God. They have everything they need. But he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, 
They will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. And we know that Jesus did amazing miracles and all, and they still, as a whole, denied Him. They'd even seen them, right? And here we have this man who now knows the truth as he's in Hades and uh, he's on the wrong side. <laughs> and uh, it says, Go warn my brothers. And he said, they have, the, they, have the, they have the Word of God. They don't need anything else. But if they could only, what? If they could only see this, then they'll, you know, they'll repent. See, that's, that's the thing. They'll repent because they see that. No, they have what they need. It's the Word of God that will change you, that will make you turn. And evidently they were denying that. They have it, he said. Kind of interesting that that man in Hades would say they will repent. At least have them. I, if I can't get out of here, if I can't get any relief, it's amazing how he'd say that, wouldn't it? Repent. I think he knew what repentance was, but he couldn't do it in this life. Do you think he probably had the law and the prophets? Oh, yeah. Terrible was brought forth anyway. Well, that's one aspect we have to we have to know to turn turn completely around. Then it uh, as he draws us to repentance. Not only do we need to know that, but we have to have a true sorrow, a true sorrow for sin. And God gives us a conscience. God gives us um, guilt. Guilt's a good thing. Because if we didn't have guilt, then we wouldn't have any feelings. So God knew what He was doing whenever He designed this. Um, have you ever done something wrong and you felt bad? <laughs> of course, right? Guess who gave that to us? We're able to feel that. So it is a good thing. Guilt is a, is a is a terrible thing. Somebody can say, "Oh, it's terrible that we have to carry around guilt. We we're, were to get uh, rid of guilt if we have that. And it's only God that we can." But if if we're Christians and He's forgiven our sins, well, why can't we just forget them? I mean, He forgets them, right? He says, "I I will remember your sins no more. I'll cast them as far as the east is from the west." But yet, we know when we have sinned. Is that good? Yeah. Because how else are we going to know that we need to be continuing to be transformed and by this renewing? Um, when we make, uh, when, we, when we sin, um, if we're truly repentant, we're sorry over that because we've offended a holy God, not because we get caught or um, repercussions that, that might come out of it or we just have this feeling of heavy guilt. Uh, it's just like people who have pain. But if they didn't know they have pain and they took enough pain pills and there wasn't that... There was somebody who wrote a book called The Gift of Pain... If we didn't have that pain, then we'd be like, uh, for instance, like lepers. They have no sense of pain, let's say, in their toes. And they can go right up and be uh, to a fire, not even know it. Walk on hot coals, not know it. But all of a sudden, now their toes are burnt. And they wind up being nubbed off. Or their hands, they run in into things. It's like 
being next to a stove, you don't know it's on, uh, well, you'll know it real quick, right? But if you don't have any feeling for it, then guess what? You're going to have uh, yeah, something burn off. They rub their nose and stuff too hard. Yeah. They, they destroy themselves. In fact, they don't have any senses to tell them that they're doing it too hard. Right. Do that in anything. Yeah, Dwayne. Uh, I saw a girl on... did really feel the pain. A hundred percent. He didn't even want to take the sour or the vinegar, you know, that would kind of numb it. So he felt everything. But even in his life and his daily walk, as human as could be. Yeah. Um, So would you say that people who would not feel pain are in danger constantly? They didn't feel it. Uh, people are actually, you know, uh, they're not sensitive to what, what is going on to themselves. And you made the point there of up to others. Of course, we as humans, we, we need to know how others are feeling. One of the greatest passages, I guess, on this, everybody probably knows, is 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9. And uh, you can be as sorry as you want about sin... Of course, there are a lot of people who are sorry, sorry for their sin, but they really it doesn't bring about a repentance. In Second Corinthians seven nine, says I now rejoice not that you were made sorrowful, just to be sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance, for you were made sorrowful according to the will of God so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. There's dealing with the will of God, having this this sorrow, sorrow for sin. That's pretty incredible. He says, it's, you know, I'm rejoicing. It's not just because you're sorry because you sinned. I mean, that's, that's good, but that's not the deal. It was all the way to the point of repentance that you wanted to change, that, that things would be uh, a total turnaround in you, and uh, where they wouldn't want to be doing those things again. And that's written to the Corinthians. And of course, we we know the story on the Corinthians and some of the sin they had been so involved with. And go back before they were Christians, or even as as they were battling all the sin that they were. I mean, every chapter in here, Paul uh, brings the Holy Spirit to them, convicting them. So that's what's important that they would uh, that would turn from that, and that sorrow is what pro- helps produce that there. Uh, there's another. This is that was the second one. So 
sorrow for sin. The third one is the goodness of God. And that's at Romans 2.4. I know we've covered these, probably a lot of these same verses when we were in chapter 2, but some great verses to always go back to. Or do you think lightly of the riches of His kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. That's what gives, gets us our repenting attitude. It's the goodness of God. He is so good that He brings us to the point of repentance. They, uh, of course, the, the Jews as a whole, and the context when you get into chapter 2 is... The Jews had every blessing that God gave them. They had all the promises. Everything was was there. They had the oracles and such. And they had treaded on God's goodness or kindness. They um, took advantage of it. and Took it for granted. And really, I think what you can say in this verse 4 is that God's goodness is for the purpose that would bring men to turn around to change their mind to change their mind about Christ that they would desire to live for Christ that's the goodness of God isn't it it's designed to bring men to Christ so if we have to repent repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand it's a must isn't it and it's the goodness of God that drives us to repentance it's His work, isn't it? Even though it's something that we do. I think you think of the goodness of God and I think at this time of the year I look out there and especially in the first, second, even the third week of May, you have almost everything green now. The trees will probably get just a little more greener but they're pretty well out, aren't they? What do you think of those? Is it the, the oak trees shedding that we're looking brown stuff. <laughs> the, the wind blew some of it out in the yard back at the other house, and great big old clumps of it was all around. We have that oak tree in front. I'm like, wow, what happened here? But um, now, what would happen if every tree just looked like that? It was all brown, and the grass would be brown, the dirt brown, everything's brown. Pretty dull, wouldn't it? God is really kind, really good. He gives us so many different things, things we don't have to have, but think of just the pleasant colors and think of springtime. Green is good for the, you know, just to look at, the eyes, restful. Uh, we could have brown flowers. How would you like to have nothing but brown flowers around? Oh, that'd be depressing, wouldn't it? Uh, what a good God. And He showered His goodness on all people whether they be believers or not. The allergies are sitting there. Just talking about it got Frida. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. If you have a white van that's really dull looking, you know, it'll turn it to green. I know what you mean. (laughs) As the trees get green, I guess other things get green too, don't they? But... Would you say that He has showered 
His goodness and kindness on people. You know, there are a lot of things that happen. You know, you can have tornadoes and terrible storms and everything. But think, most of the time, things are pretty comfortable for us, aren't they? And He's made it really good for us. There are joys in life and the whole joys of just being in His kingdom, knowing who He is. But people... Food wouldn't have to taste good. Yeah. It could just be a mechanical. That's the necessity to keep it alive. It wouldn't have to be something to eat. Look at all the variety of wonderful foods. That's a good point. Like Sherry's probably thinking right now, like plain old white yogurt. <laughs> we could have yogurt to eat all the time. Have to eat that because we'd have to have nourishment that that's all there is. <laughs> Aren't you? Aren't <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Manna kind of got old for them, didn't it? But yeah, God gives us abundance. And that doesn't mean we have to eat everything. Take dominion over the foods of the earth. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. So really, His goodness is meant to bring people to Him. The kindness of God leads you, drives you to repentance. Can you really see me? Yeah. We have this friend, this is, this is true. Uh, he grew up in, in the state of California. He was in a gang at one time. He was rough. Even when we knew him, he said he never left home without his knife on him. He didn't even have dreams of it. So when he came to the Lord, he expected very harsh treatment from the Lord because he knew he deserved it. And God always came to him in goodness. And he couldn't handle it. He didn't want it. He wanted to be slammed up against a wall, you know, because that's all he never knew. And he couldn't understand that. So what's the rest of the story? That's it. <laughs> <laughs> he was a Christian. But did it break him? I mean, did it subdue his heart? Or? It broke him to a point. Uh-huh. It didn't. But there, there, there's huh. still like a remnant. He's still uncomfortable with gentleness. Huh. He knows that's all he ever gets from God. He can't. It's hard for him to fathom, honey. Yeah. Yeah, he just he told me one time that he wished that God would just land on him from heaven. I mean, just wipe him out, make him suffer, you know. And and the Lord never dealt with him that way. He never did. Because he landed on Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> the Lord landed on Jesus. So yeah. <laughs> but he knew so well how undeserving he was. Hmm. Which is true, yes. but it's too bad that he can't Did he ever fathom it. David Wilkerson? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, anyway, well, he's a wow. Christian. We haven't seen him in a while, and you could see progress in him, but he still had trouble with that. He still had trouble with that. Trust issues. Maybe he didn't get nurturing from his mom. I mean, that could sure influence. Maybe he never got nurturing from his mom. No, he didn't. So, see, he didn't know that earthbound. Uh, 
But some people have some people some people have problems with a father God because their father and their experiences with not having a father or father different things play into that. That is an interesting story. Yeah, and it's something that God continues to be good even when He's saying, strike me dead. God's saying, no. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, during those years when I was so afraid that God didn't love me self, saying that really helped me, that's such a simple thing, but it really helped me a lot, is that it's the devil that brings condemnation that drives us away from God. The Holy Spirit will convict us to bring us to God. I bet you liked uh, the Romans 8.1 when you, that'd be brought to attention. Now, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? No condemnation. That's a great characteristic of God, even though He probably recognized, He, he knew God was good. There's no doubt. He, he knew about the grace of God and goodness of God. He says, yeah, but I don't deserve it. Well, that's true. We don't. But God still wants to lavish His goodness on us. That's The human mind, It, it uh, sometimes it has, well, often, has times latching on to some of the characteristics of God. But way beyond us. There's another one called the chastening of God, which is part of repentance. Sometimes God can put us through really serious crises to bring us to change. It might be not anything that that, that we've done when, when things happen, or sometimes it can be. But what it is, He's always changing us, isn't He? He's always reforming us to be like Christ. And, of course, you look in Scripture and the message of judgment is, is, is all over it. And uh, but God does that to lead His people to repentance. Was it in uh, Matthew twenty-one thirty-two? John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you believed him not. But the tax collectors and the harlots believed him, and ye, when you had uh, seen it, repented not afterward that you might believe him. So they didn't repent. They didn't turn around. So he says in verse 43 there, Therefore, as I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you, given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits of it, and whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. But on whomsoever it shall fall, it shall grind him to powder. Now the, uh, the life that falls on Christ is broken, broken in the sense of its own direction and its own will and it's broken uh, to conform to Him. But if a man doesn't fall and then be broken on Christ, then Christ the rock falls on that man and grinds him to powder. Anyway, the chastening uh, of God is, is there to drive people to repentance. But still yet, they many will still not repent. He uses every method possible Revelation 3.19 brings forth that uh, thought, I believe, here. Let's see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. 
So he has repentance there lined up with uh, very chastening God, uh, his reproving. Uh, Hebrews 12, same thing there about God's discipline. He disciplines his own. If he didn't, he wouldn't love us, would he? And it means to train us. Uh, it might be bringing people into certain different things that uh, they must go through so that people ultimately would be trusting in Him but also repent. Be zealous and repent. I think it is a very zealous act to repent. To that uh, That's an intentional thing to do, saying, okay, I'm not going to do that anymore and I am going to do this. I'm going to start doing this. So. Then there's a final judgment. That would be chastening discipline is ultimately for his children. Um, But there's a final judgment. Paul uses this same... We're still dealing with that word repentance, right? And in Acts 17, and I believe in Acts 17 we happen to be in uh, verse 20... This is at Athens. You remember uh, Paul's appearance there. Verse 30 is actually where I'm supposed to be at. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. Well, that is a theme. It's a theme all throughout. You look in Acts. It's a theme everywhere, isn't it? But the Acts, uh, all the messages that are given about uh, the Gospel of Christ and repentance is always brought forth there. Times of ignorance, they're over now. God is now declaring everyone repent. This is fixed day. Final judgment. I think in uh, Matthew 21. Thirty-two. I think I've already kind of used that. Mm-hmm. I was using that. Sorry about that. That was a same kind of story. It's a parable of the landowner, but then he winds up um, taking uh, what he had given to them and taking it and giving it to somebody else. Quite a judgment. Judgment made, a final judgment. Of course, he did that to the nation of Israel. That's kind of the idea, thought there of that. This landowner, that parable, what God did to set it all up. Well, that's dealing with repentance. We'll go back to our... um, Acts passage and he says repent and be converted my version says return does anybody have converted there turn again turn again Converted, okay. Epistrepho. And uh, it's used in the New Testament when you have a sinner that's turning to God. He turns back to God. It's it's related to repentance. It's very close to it. Um, conversion is like the total circle. 
half of it's repentance and half of it's faith. The whole circle is conversion. You'll notice here when he says that um, in verse 19, and return, in the Greek tense, it's a passive sense. It's passive in, in that it has to be done to you to be converted. Does, uh, does your say be converted there? Okay. That's probably the most accurate. That's um, because it is a passive sense. So it's something that we can't do. We can't convert ourselves, can we? No matter how much people would like to, they can't convert themselves. Nobody can. And that's kind of the meaning of conversion here. It's, um, you know, turn back to God. It's having faith towards Him. What's that? Epistrepho. On the word, uh, in my NAS, it has uh, return. Or others may have convert. Of course, when we think of convert, that's the same kind of meaning, but I think it... You get a well-rounded thought on that. What's uh, what's going on? Turn back, be converted, uh, and, and there's there's a reason for it. Because next, so that your sins may be wiped away. Uh, I like this. So that your sins may be forgiven. You go to the old covenant. They had sacrifices, but they never did take away sins. They covered them. It pointed to the ultimate sacrifice. Um, but here it's speaking of someone who has an eraser and comes along and totally takes out whatever was written and it can't be seen again. Now, we use ink when we write things down, right? Well, they had the, the parchments and the vellum and it was really written on top, but it didn't blazed down into that material that they wrote on. It would be sitting on top. If someone took something wet, some kind of a cloth and something wet, and with that just like being written there, could take it out, erase it, to blot it out. That's to blot out. Yeah. Jesus came so that people's sins would be blotted out. Until Christ came, in one sense, people's sins weren't blotted out yet until that actually happened, even though there were believers. And, of course, they were counted as as righteousness back then, just like we were. And it's all dealing with grace as they looked to the the cross. Until that time, that's where it happened. Uh, Everything happened at the cross. Um, there was you can imagine they would have like the everyday sacrifice then of course the weekly Sabbath and those sacrifices then they would have the feast you know the Passover that day of atonement and all of that was uh, something that was pointing to the day that, that the sin would finally be taken away and then of course You think of Ezekiel or Jeremiah where it talks about a new covenant where their sins will be forgiven. And in that new covenant, they're declared righteous because of uh, what what God will do. So it's really glorious to be free from that type of uh, uh, thought 
knowing that, okay, I, I walk out of this temple and as soon as I sin, then I have to have that I have to have a sacrifice again. Can you imagine somebody with a conscience like Martin Luther had back in that time period? And that's exactly about what happened to him. He went pretty crazy. (laughs) Yeah. Every time that he knew that he sinned, had a thought or whatever, he'd go right back into that confessional. That guilt was constantly there. And we don't have that. We need to realize that that is taken care of. Isn't it glorious to be in the very freedom from that? We were in bondage. We would be in bondage had it not been. Turn to Psalm 51, verse 9. You're familiar with uh, Psalm 51, right? This is um, David's prayer for his great sin that he had like about a year later. He gets to verse 9. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Blot them out. Erase them. He knew that he, he has that weighing on him. It must be taken away. He cannot walk around in that kind of thought so this, uh, when we have a repentance and we return and convert so sins are wiped away or forgiven if you're in the Old Testament uh, turn over to Isaiah and if you're in the New Testament turn over to Isaiah <laughs> Isaiah 43:25. yes even I am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. That's a promise. I will not remember them. I wipe them out, God says. Chapter 44, 21. Remember these things, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I have formed you. You are my... Uh, o Israel, you will not be forgotten. Me. Verse 22. I have wiped out your transgressions like a thick cloud and your sins like a heavy mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. There's a like a repentance and a returning or converting there, as we see what results out of it is God's forgiveness. Yes. Yeah, go ahead and read that there. Yeah. That's and this is a perfect example of it. This is a living illustration right here, uh David doing that and of course that getting near the end of that confession. And uh, that's what he wants. He wants uh, he wants brokenness, that contrite, serious nature, uh, our heart, and he not, does not despise that, right? 
So humble yourselves. That <laughs> came right out of there. You know those words you were reading that, you know, to God to Israel in Isaiah? Those are real words of love. Mm. What a beckoning. Mm-hmm. You know? I was just saying that uh, those are real words of love. Well, any time God commands a repentance, you know, it's based on His His love and His uh, His heart. He wants our hearts to be like His heart. That's a good God that would do that. Yeah, that's only good. It's it's a good thing. When we hear that word repent, it sounds almost... Uh, yeah. Fighting uh, or... Hard. And edgy. Well, yeah, it edgy. Is. Yeah. I mean, it is from a human perspective. man perspective. certainly is. Well, God comes along with a sponge... And just wipes it right off. Or it's like these um, boards. Blood. Yeah. <laughs> Wiped it with his blood, didn't he? Yep. Yeah. Why does? It's not taking an X and right. marking over it. Right. It's like it's the taken where you can't read it anymore. It's not there. But where is that reference to the sprinkling in the New Testament? About that? is it Peter that talks about that, or uh, <coughs> Peter does? The sprinkling of the blood that is the, you know, God's continual act to His people. You know, like they always had to be continually sprinkled in the camp in Israel. Yeah, because... God spiritually does that. Are you talking about uh, where He says, uh, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, sanctification of the Spirit... That uh yeah, sprinkle with his blood, that's an ongoing thing there. That we have a continual um washing cleansing. So it's a, you know it's the work has been done and yet yeah. it's a there's the sanctification process. Works. Yeah. What a what a great God. Colossians two, about at the end here. Colossians two thirteen and fourteen. Everybody's probably familiar with this. When you were dead in your transgressions, ha, Colossians says that too, like in Ephesians, right? And the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. And then get this. Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. There was Paul's. <laughs> that's, a, that's a slam dunk, isn't it? Isn't it? That's powerful. Yeah, that's like. Uh, um, 
Which verse is that again? I was looking at that. What, right? I was listening to you, but I was listening Colossians 2, 13 and 14. 14. And then 15 shows his ultimate victory, disarming the, the rulers and authorities and made a public display. I mean, that, that's just absolute yeah. victory, triumph. Uh, you know, I'm looking. Oh, here it is. Canceling the record of death that stood against against us. You know, that reminds me of how um, people who are not in Christ are under God's wrath, under the condemnation. And this is maybe referring sort of to that. You know, canceling of that condemnation, that record of death. You know, unpayable. Yeah. Yeah. A record, like of every sin of the unbeliever. That's kind of what you're saying, right? Well, just that it that it corresponds to being under wrath before being in Christ, because the wrath is going to going to collect. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Can you imagine? Christ doesn't, if Christ doesn't pay it, it will be for eternity. So, you know, there again, that's totally taken away. Yeah. So Jesus came along and wet the sponge with that wet sponge and as he died on the cross. Not good news at all, is it? Well, that the early church that they taught, you know, in the second, third, Yeah, you look at some of the early church fathers as, as they write and tell what's going on at that time, and some of them too, you know, believe it or not. But that's after the New Testament, So he died. I died with him. Consequently, my sins were nailed to the cross. God takes his blood, wipes it off, wipes it clean, blotted out. So the Jewish mind, can you imagine the rejoicing that they must have had when they heard this message? When they heard what uh, what it is whenever there's absolute forgiveness? And isn't it wonderful to know your sins are forgiven? It's wonderful to know that. Now, what we're going to do is close this shop up here in this chapter. We're just going to read and, and check out and see how it flows. He says that you, you, your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And, and that can be you know, at salvation and it can even go all the way to the point, of course, you know, glorification and such. The very presence of Him. That He may send Jesus the Christ appointed for you. Wow. Appointed. Whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things. He's going to stay there until it's time to come back. Spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets from ancient time. Moses said, The Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. To him you shall give heed to everything he says. It goes back to the Old Testament compares him 
you know, Moses was considered to be the great prophet, and he was considered to be, you know, the uh, uh, the one that they were to give heed to, and he is the fulfillment of what Moses was a picture of. And it will be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people and we judged. And likewise, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and his successors onward also announced these days. So he's not going back and, and picking some verses out that they've never seen or... Uh, it's something they're familiar with. And he goes back to the prophets, back to the time of Samuel, which is in their writings. They have this. And it announced all this. In these days, right now, it's you who are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham. So he's now he's used Moses. He uses Abraham, the father of their faith. <laughs> and what more can he use? And of course, he's using the Word of God here. And in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Of course, it extends on out from the very seed of that nation till really the seed is the Messiah. But Abraham gave uh, that first glimpse of that picture. For you first... God raised up His servant. Remember, we had seen the word servant before back in um, around verse 13. Yeah, verse 13 of this chapter. God raised up His servant, which is an ambassador, one who serves God, and sent Him to bless you. He sent Him here to bless you. Remember, you killed Him. To bless you by turning, and there's that word again, and it kind of sums up our repentance. Turning every one of you from your wicked ways. What a message. And we see the result in chapter 4. And you get the priest and the cap of the temple guard and the Sadducees, they come up. They're disturbed. <laughs> anyway, we're out of time, but. Uh, wow, uh, I think the blessings that he has sent, there it is, it's realized at the time of refreshing. This this is the time that has been written. This is where it's at. And he says, repent. And of course, God is the one who turns you to him. But they're commanded to do that. So they're held responsible with what they've done and what they will do at this point. And yet God is working His grace right there too. What a powerful message. And that's the gospel message. That's kind of the pattern of how it works. Hold up Christ, exalt Him, and at the same time show that we all need repentance. Well, what do you think? Did it finally cool off? Getting close. (laughs) Maybe by Sunday it'll be cool in here. (laughs) I'll probably have it on Saturday night. Thank you guys for all your comments and all the uh, the helps that we have to be edified. Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for your word and your truth. For it is what makes us desire to follow you, to to repent to repent from the things uh, that the world has brought on us and the, f- the flesh and, and of course, the very enemy of the devil. And, uh, Lord, 
Help us to live more and more true to You. Help us to be able to encourage each other as we know that the um, the day that uh, we go to meet You, however that may be, is drawing closer. It drew one more cl- one day closer today. And uh, we uh, look to that great, ultimate, refreshing time. Praise You. You are the Holy One. Amen.